Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of Mum Talk. So this week we are going to have a long-awaited chat about allergies. You may have listened to the first episode where Ali mentioned that her daughter Isla has severe allergies and many of you reached out after listening saying yours do too and would love an allergy podcast and lucky for you that was on our radar already and here we are. So we're going to jump straight into it and Ali is going to share with us her allergy journey. So let's start off by chatting about whether allergies have been in your family prior to Isla's arrival. Honestly, no, actually. I mean, I have eczema and my husband has asthma. So I'd say we're, we're atopic people. We'd sometimes I've joked that we're, we're itchy people. We're an itchy family. Um, but not food allergies, not at all. Not like this. This was, you know, sometimes I think back, you know, I'm an 80s baby and I was, I, I think dairy I may have had an issue with as a child, but I don't think anybody ever thought about allergy. And it certainly wasn't the to the extent that this is I mean I suffers with um she's allergic to uh mil- oh, dairy egg uh, sesame peanut pistachio and cashew and she has what's known as immediate allergies to those things so that's where you typically would see a reaction within two hours of the child being exposed um to the allergen in question um, and so, you know, from the moment we were diagnosed with that, then I've carried EpiPens for her and antihistamines at all times. We never leave the house without them. Um, so, yeah, also probably good at this point to say, you know, I'm so happy to share my story and I am making um, allergy much more part of my day to day conversation. Um, but I'm not a medical professional by any stretch of the imagination. Um, oh god I can't find my words not a medical professional at all but really happy to share I think my aim is to you know make any allergy families out there feel a bit less alone and um, and also if there are any non-allergy families listening to also create more allergy allies because I feel like that's what we need to create more inclusivity for our children who can sometimes be left out of you know just day-to-day things that you might think you know that I imagine might be easier for other families that for us it's you know can be quite difficult particularly social situations um yeah so more than happy to talk about it Mm, absolutely I can't even imagine you know simple things like going to a birthday party or even a trip around the supermarket you know simple things like that where it's just wouldn't be on my radar unless you know I it is because I talk to you and I know Isla and I know, you know, a very, very tiny snippet of what you go through. But otherwise, it wouldn't be on my radar to appreciate, you know, just how difficult that must be. I think it just infiltrates every aspect of day to day life and mm. you get used to it. Absolutely. You know, we've, I think, got in our stride more and more over the years but uh, over the years like it's been years and years just two and a half uh, over the months (laughs) that we've been uh, dealing with this but um it's always at the forefront of my mind I have to be incredibly vigilant and even this morning we went to our local community center we've got this amazing place just around the corner Isla does a little dance class there and brilliantly over the last few months they've had food like a food bank there in case anybody needs anything and today we went into the room and literally in the corner of this space where we were doing the dance class was a a crate full of freshly baked bread that wasn't packaged or anything covered in seeds and straight away I'm having to do a risk assessment literally I felt like I could 
hear my own heartbeat in my ears. It's like, for me, that is a bit of a nightmare. And it's not that I would, you know, want to take that away from any family that needs that, especially at the moment. Um, but for my daughter, that can be quite dangerous because typically, I mean, baked goods, we, we can't go into a bakery. Baked goods are a nightmare. They're often dipped in milk or egg that creates that glaze. They're, um, they're covered in, you know, sometimes sesame seeds, which she's allergic to. And so, you know, I'm having a look. Oh, well, where are the crumbs? Are there seeds on the floor? You know, all this kind of stuff, just working out whether I can even be in this room with her um, whilst trying to hold it down because I don't want to pass my anxiety onto her. This is her fun social thing that we do once a week. And so, uh, yeah, I made the decision that we'd, we'd be in a different part of the room and I'd just keep it, you know, keep vigilant I reached down into my bag make sure got you know always got EpiPens always got antihistamine but made sure it was absolutely within reach and sort of doing all these calculations and on the way home you know and thankfully it all went smoothly everything was fine but on the on the way home I was like what a how crazy has life got that I'm a, a loaf of bread being in a room is enough to absolutely spin me out but it is the risk is real it's mm. you know it is real for us but it's always a question of kind of calculating is this situation safe enough for my child to can we remain in this situation or do I need to take her away and when I got home David said oh did you say something to them I was like what can I say I don't want you know this is needed as well for other families right now and I guess in that situation I'm not going to say take all this bread away but it's just one of those things that creates a bit of a, a dilemma for us really so when did you yeah. first find out that Isla had an allergy? Um, so she, when she was about eight weeks old, she suddenly developed. I say suddenly, actually, she did have, you know, other things before that. She had baby acne and um, cradle cap. She also had one of those little stalk marks on the back of her neck and things like little skin things like that. But at eight weeks, she developed really full-on eczema to the point where she almost looked like she'd been burnt. Um, and uh, this was right early on in lockdown. And uh, actually, we did have our first ambulance run then before I even knew uh, what was going on. I put a vino on her to try and soothe it, and her skin went wild, and I thought her lips were swelling. Um, so I called an ambulance and they took her in. Um, yeah, she was absolutely screaming the house down. And I did think at that point, oh, my God, is she having an allergic reaction? It crossed my mind. But actually, that time we got there, it all sort of settled down. I think it had just, yeah, whatever it was, it, ju- it had just irritated the hell out of her. Um, but yeah, that was probably the first time my brain start- I started to think is, could this be allergy? But even at that point, it didn't occur to me the level of food allergy that we might be dealing with. But then I remember speaking to our neighbour over the fence who um, happened to be an intensive care nurse. And she just said to me, look, you know, life's crazy. Can't None of us can make appointments to see anybody at the moment. Um, maybe you should see, just book an appointment with a dermatologist. Um, so I looked online and I actually found a private dermatologist um, and we had a, a a Zoom consultation, and he looked at her. He brilliantly taught me how to um, to look after her eczema, and we've been doing what he says basically said ever since. And her skin's been much better and really under control. But yeah, at that point, he said, "Look, it's, this isn't always an indicator, but it could be an indicator of food allergy. I really recommend that you see an allergist." So again, with it being, you know, I think 
if it hadn't been locked down, I don't think we'd have necessarily thought, let's just book a private appointment and do that. Um, but at the time, just getting a NHS referral to see someone like that, I'm pretty sure a lot of clinics like that weren't even running. And so we found somebody and we went to to get her skin pricked and they and straight away this was she was about 10 weeks old then um she came up with these wheels on her arm and I remember saying to the um allergy nurse like what the hell is that and she said I'm so sorry that's peanuts um and so she she was testing positive at that point for peanut milk and egg um yeah so I just have this memory of being in the office it was the first time out of the house during lockdown with her and um, being taught how to use an EpiPen, being given this diagnosis. And that's it, really. And then it's like, off you go. Get on with it. And, and we were really recommended, strongly recommended um, to start to wean her early. So we were put on this early weaning regime um, and which I believe there is some research to suggest that with, you know, some children getting the allergens in earlier rather than later could prevent them from developing allergies if they if they have that predisposition predisposition or um from developing further allergies again that's the you know world according to me not um not a medical professional but that was the advice we were given and so we we did what the guy said and we started weaning her and um and then not long after that she had her first allergic reaction which was to wheat um and that was a strange one that was hang on it was the other way no it was, I'm questioning myself it was the other way around and it was sesame I think it was sesame first yeah she had anaphylaxis to sesame basically what, what we found out later was anaphylaxis but we didn't know that at the time it happened it was on the two hour mark after being given tahini and so it didn't immediately occur to us that this is an allergic reaction and how it looked didn't look how anaphylaxis necessarily looks in the movies or how, you know, you imagine she wasn't having a huge skin reaction um, and she didn't have swollen mouth or tongue or anything like that or she, and she wasn't actually in respiratory distress. But what, she, what was happening was that she was profusely vomiting from the depths of hell like I've never seen come out of anybody. Um to the point of shutdown basically so she went blue and floppy she just threw up and threw up and threw up until her little body shut down um and so oh yeah it was well, yeah hard hard to it's still hard to talk about it of course. um but uh yeah david had her in his arms and i could sort of see what was happening to her and i was like we have got to call an ambulance um so i rang because we were on the line to 111 and we were sort of on hold forever and ever. And so we just hung up and called an ambulance. The ambulance thankfully came really quickly. And um, yeah, once she received the medical care that she needed, um, she did she did amazingly bounce back quite quickly. But we had a few days in hospital that time. Was it a few days? A couple of days, I think we were in hospital. We go, so we went back and then we were advised to continue weaning. Oh, and Jesus. so we thought, oh, we'll give her something really simple and I'll give her wheat, which she'd had a few times before. And then she had another allergic reaction to wheat about a week later. Um, and again, a similar kind of reaction, but it actually happened three hours after she'd had it, which is a bit over the border of being considered an immediate or IgE reaction. Um so more of a ex very extreme delayed reaction. And so at that point, 
thankfully, the paediatricians in the A&E that we went to knew of a condition called FPIs, which is really, really rare, um, thankfully. Um, but that's what my little one was diagnosed with. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a reaction. I think it often gets confused with other things. So you might. Yeah, I don't know how, how far to go into all of that. But it's uh, yeah, thankfully, they knew of it because actually not all medical professionals that I've spoken to since have actually heard of it. It's so rare. But that really informed our next chapter as well after that because because it, it then became complicated because not only did she have her immediate reactions and she was then presenting with an FPIs reaction. And so uh, weaning was a hell of a white-knuckle ride because <laughs> FPIs, it's sort of... They can just have one trigger and most usually they would have one trigger but they it's possible that they could have more than one trigger and it can pretty much be any food any for and often the first foods that you give babies so even the things you consider really bland really innocuous like baby rice or avocado or sweet potato things like that so um yeah it was it was full on, but thankfully she didn't develop any further FPIs triggers. And, and she has actually now outgrown her wheat allergy, which has been oh, a brilliant. total game changer. Yeah, that was huge um, because wheat can be, it's really tricky. It's really tricky. It's in everything. Yeah. Oh, my word. So I mean, so, so much to pick up on with what you just explained there. I can't. I can't even imagine. Sorry, that was a lot. I went no. off it. <laughs> I went off it. No, it, it's it's your journey. I mean, to start with, how are you and David still standing after <laughs> that experience uh, with your firstborn in COVID? Yeah. Ha- how? Yeah. We were in not the best place psychologically, the pair of us after that, I think. Um yeah and I we decided to look to get help as well so we just thought we need to be supported here because this is really tough and you know even at that point we was that was getting towards the point where they brought in bubbling so we could not long after her second reaction we were able to be around family and have people help us a bit more but prior to that we just were on we were so on our own um and you know and all the usual newborn stuff you know sleep deprived and all of it and really like wondering about it yeah worried frightened about the world outside us as well with covid and all of that yeah covid anxiety but then yeah we reached out to through the gps and um we have both had it were given a course of um, cognitive behavioural therapy. So they handled it differently for both of us, actually. It was interesting. Um, we both had had to do a sort of test when we were being assessed over the phone to see if we um, scored highly for PTSD, and we both did. And David actually did the PTSD CBT course, um, which I think has actually been incredibly helpful. But my word, it was really tough when he was going through it because we were still very much in it. Mm. So that was quite something to behold. But bravely, he went, he stuck to the process and came out the other side. And I do think it has really helped him, actually. Um, I, I think he would say the same thing. Um, for me, I was it was just too raw. I couldn't do it because it does involve involve an amount of reliving, 
what you went through. Um, and so I'm only really talking about it. We only really talked about it publicly in September of this year. You know, she's two and a half and it's kind of taken that long for me to feel able to to talk about it because I think I've just been processing sort of processing the whole time um but yeah I didn't feel able to do that and the guy that I was talking to the counselor didn't the therapist didn't feel it would, would be right for me then I wasn't really feeling strong enough and so yeah he took a different approach um which was partly counseling really because I really needed to talk and <laughs> talk it through and um with somebody outside of our house mm-hmm. and uh partly anger management <laughs> which like anyone that's known me for a long time would be like what <laughs> you like you're the you know I'm, we have a reputation for being a part with not probably so much with my romantic partners but with people in my life partners partner singularly um but you know historically yeah for being quite laid back <laughs> but this uh really did yeah it set me off in a way I didn't really even understand what was happening but I'd find I'd feel really I'd often feel really really angry and ragey in the kitchen and it wasn't till somebody till my counsellor pointed out like have you noticed whenever you're telling these stories of like what happened or you know conversations that happened that went south um it was always in the kitchen so and mm. and Uh, Yeah, it transpired that for me at that point, even just being in the kitchen was like being in the scene of the crime and Mm. was enough to absolutely send me into the stratosphere with anxiety. So we um, which would then transpire into me feeling like the food wasn't right. This wasn't clean enough. That's not right. David's looked at me sideways. What's that about? You know, just like absolutely in fight mode. Um, But because I was so frightened and so yeah that he gave us a really practical tip that's been so helpful and we've really used ever since which was having a traffic light system for us to check in with each other so especially during that phase it would be like if you if I started to get I suppose it helped me start to get in touch with what was happening to me you know I could kind of feel in my body actually I am feeling angsty I am feeling on edge I am worried I am feeling cross and I would feel able to say to David look I'm on red here I just need a minute or, you know, and he could too, in turn, could tell me if he was feeling on, re- in, on a red in the situation or an amber or even sometimes a green. I mean, <laughs> greens are fun. Greens, like, they don't happen that often at that moment. But, you know, every now and then they might creep in a green. Gotta love a green. So, uh, but yeah, lots of reds and ambers flying around. But at least it built in a bit of a safety mechanism that mm. meant we could get the space that we needed or whatever we needed or the support or the hug or whatever it was in that moment before things escalated um so yeah that was really really useful so yeah I mean I guess we've always been quite good like that Dave and I like we do know when we need some help and Mm. need some support and we did look for it wherever we could and then once we were under St Thomas's who were particularly amazing during that weaning phase when we were in the hospital for lots of food challenges trying I mean I went when they chat they had to challenge things like rice so when the first time I gave her rice was in a hospital setting first time I gave her what else oats was in a hospital setting so I'm like taking in these little pots of food and they measure it out all you know it's very exact very scientific 
and then you give your baby the food, you know, and they have to eat a certain quantity of it to pass the challenge. The words around it sometimes I'm not that crazy about. It's like you can, you know, your baby is passing or failing a challenge. It just feels like quite (laughs) intense, quite (laughs) intense. But thankfully we passed a few. And um, so they were, because of the FPIs situation, they were really great at making sure that she was weaned to a point where she had a balanced-ish, uh, balanced enough diet at the beginning. But yeah, there were some moments I was like, I can't believe I'm feeding my baby rice on a hospital ward. Mm-hmm. Like, what, has, what is this? What is this reality? It's so far from how you imagine it might be or that kind of joyous I'd sometimes see on Instagram and things like that, pictures of babies with food all over their faces and being mm-hmm. weaned at home. And I was like, I just, oh God, it's making me want to cry. Oh God. <laughs> oh got me yeah I just wanted that I wanted that reality for my for me and for my child <laughs> of course you did yeah it was hard it was hard um but then we get the wins you know not to be the you know toxic <laughs> positivity because that bit is hard and it is hard for all parents that are um dealing with the reality of food allergies um and the fear around it but yeah I got to a point you know I can give her a spaghetti bolognese now without thinking about it too much and actually I cried the first time I looked at her little face covered in tomato sauce just looking like every other kid (laughs) yeah looking like every other child um covered in food and or the first time she had a cake you know because that I learned how to cook a cake with about three ingredients. <laughs> so, so all I wanted to do was bake her a cake for her first birthday. Um, but yeah, those milestones end up just feeling so huge. Mm. Oh dear, I've gone. This is quite tricky with pregnancy as well, because with the hormones, I find like something sets me off. You know how normally in life you can pull it back quite easily. I'm like, I can't pull it back. I've opened the floodgates. <laughs> All hell is breaking loose now. Well, that's of course. And I'm right. sure there's an element of anxiety over your newborn, you know, in, in your pregnancy yeah. now. And if this could happen again, is, is there any evidence to show that it, it might be, you know, brought down through siblings or not it could be genetic yeah that's yeah, that's the I worst mean, i think it's <laughs> i think it's safe to assume she may be at high risk of it of developing allergies i don't know that anybody knows and i don't know actually for sure you know statistically what the chances are there are some statistics out there honestly i actually haven't looked too far into it um i'm just I'm taking it a day at, t- a day at a time mm. with this one. Um, mm. But at the same time, we're so much more informed now because we just know of this possibility. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, it'll probably be something else. It'll be completely different. It's something that I haven't even thought of. Um, but at least, yeah, in terms of allergies, um, oh, with little things, like I was a, we've got an amazing allergist now. I have to say the last year with Isla has been a total game changer. Um we were very, very much under um, St. Thomas's and we still are, but I just feel like in truth, it all feels quite stretched to the max right now. And I think there are so many children with allergies, not enough funding, it feels like in that department. And um, yeah, they do what they can, but I don't always feel like as much is happening as you would hope for. And then I, I found out 
that there were other possibilities and we had uh, we took her to see a private uh, to see a consultant privately and um and god you know i bloody wish that what has been available to us would become nationally available to all children and my hope is that it really will do and the more at least the one thing i think is at least the precedence is being set now that you know they're doing de- you know isla's been desensitized to peanuts so she can now tolerate a peanut and a half and that is huge and i know in some it's massive in some areas of the nhs it's possible um but it certainly wasn't available to us um so yeah, we went for it and I I am so glad we did. Um so it took a few months and you go in for your first um dose and uh she get got through that and so then you give it to her at home. We gave it to her at home for two or three weeks and then book in, go back again, have an up dosing, and they're just sort of nudging up the amount that they can you know, the the amount they can have um bit in tiny increments over a period of time. Um, and yeah, we're on the maintenance dose now. We've done it. And, uh, That's can't, incredible. Can't believe it. It's huge. It's huge because it went from a place of feeling like, oh, I don't know. There didn't feel like much possibility. Once we got her weaned, we'd established, okay, she's positively allergic to, you know, all of the things I mentioned before and... That's it. There's not much we can do apart from check every year to see whether she's outgrowing anything, which we will continue to do. Um, but yeah, there, it turns out there are there are a few things out there, and so we see a guy called Professor Fox. I'm really happy to share that information because it's just the first time I've sat in somebody's office and felt like there's hope. Mm. Felt like there's something we could do. Um, and then we went back again to have her review and look at her skin pricks and went through all this anxiety that I'm sure any allergy parents uh, listening will know the, you know, the feelings around the skin pricks. You're just praying for something to be different and to show some signs of them growing out of something. But you kind of know that probably won't be the case, but it mm-hmm. might be the case. And sometimes it is all of that. So we sat there and I, um, when the came, nurse came to have a look and I was like, oh God, I don't even want to look. And we all had a look at her arm and whilst we're going, yay, Isla, well done. You did it. That's brilliant. Having a look at these wheels that are still huge. Nothing's changed. She's not growing out of anything. Um, again, just thought, oh God, it's probably a game over for another year. And then spoke to Adam and uh, Fox and it turns out that uh, we can do sesame desensitisation. So we're going to start that in the new year. Yeah, which again, sesame, you know, like I was telling you about the story about the bread earlier, Mm. little sneaky sesame seeds and also tahini is so popular. And I don't think people even often realise that tahini sesame. And so it's in hummus, it's in people, there are local cafe bakes freaking tahini chocolate cake so my child's not going to be able to identify it doesn't you know it's become like a really sort of fashionable thing to whack in just about Mm. everything Mm. um yeah so for a sesame allergy person it's incredibly stressful so uh yeah that's that feels like a win i'm really looking forward to getting cracking with that going to say the other thing we were able to do is to do a baked milk challenge so that will be the first time for her trying baked milk Uh, is baked milk is this milk in some kind of baked good or is it exactly that Mm -hmm. yeah so it's very specific again you we get emailed a um 
recipe to follow to the letter, you know, all of these things. Whenever you trial anything, it's very precise. Um, and so I'm, it's, uh, there's a powdered milk that I have to buy and then I have to get a certain amount of that, you know, in the exact measurement baked into a batch of six. Um, I'm going to make chocolate cause she likes chocolate cake cupcakes um and then she'll try it that way in hospital um so and we'll see we'll see what happens but yeah sometimes the challenges themselves even well god when I was taking her in for her wheat challenge because that was a biggie that was the f pies challenge um I was so scared about opening a bag of flour in my kitchen Mm. because I keep the kitchen really free of her allergens and I was like what if she doesn't pass this and the kitchen's covered in flour and how do you control everyone you know anyone that's ever opened a bag of flour knows what that scene looks like so I ended up baking in my front garden (laughs) with my next door (laughs) neighbour and uh I was like, she's a chef she's amazing uh she's an actor as well an actor and a chef and I rang her um uh, yeah I was like can you help me Joe? <laughs> and uh, she was like yes how should we do this how can we do this and so she took the flour and my bowl took it into her kitchen opened it weighed oh. it out came back with the bowl I put I had the other ingredients we put it in the bowl in the front garden she mixed it in her front garden <laughs> all of this dipped it into the muffin cases um yeah <laughs> that was that's what we did because our other option, I think, was Weetabix. And I knew my, I know my child. And I know being presented with Weetabix for the first time, um, she, there was Not no way happen. in hell she was going <laughs> to eat it. Not going to happen at all. So I was like, I've got to find a way to get the exact amount of wheat into a cake for her to eat. So that's what we did. So, yeah, you do find yourself being imaginative. <laughs> that's for sure. Often when, when I think about a child with an allergy, especially with anaphylaxis, I think about peanut. Like, I think that's, I feel like that's the, the one that it's mostly associated with. But can you be anaphylactic or have anaphylaxis with anything? Oh, that's a good question. I think you're so right. Like, peanut has got a reputation. And I think it's because one of the, I, I think, like, I don't know, not 100% sure, but I think it's peanut and shellfish, maybe, right. are some of the most dangerous um, you know, so sort of have the worst reputations. Um, but I, but yeah, all nuts. And yeah, there are sort of 14 main allergens, I think, which are like the most common offenders. And there are some unusual ones that you wouldn't expect to see up there, like celery and mustard and things like that. That are wow. really, you know. Yeah, and sometimes it, it, it almost can feel frustrating. Cause yes, my, my little one has nut allergies, um, but she also, ha- you know, has milk and egg allergies. Mm. And for some children, that they're re- as dangerous, absolutely. But it's harder, it feels harder to get people to understand mm. that. It's like when you say nuts, they're like, oh, right. But if you say, generally, if I say milk and egg, people say, oh, I, yes, I'm intolerant to dairy or my, ch-, you know, I know somebody that's... Um, wheat intolerant or all this kind of stuff and people I think just because these intolerances which also I do feel like um defending as well because I'm I don't think Isla does have any um delayed reactions or intolerances but I think those things are you know pretty unpleasant to live with and pretty inflammatory like over long periods of time and really almost impossible to get properly diagnosed so I know that they cause their own issues and it's no fun at all 
um, it's just different to what we are dealing with. And so sometimes when you, yeah, when you hear that, you just want people to understand that that these other foods for my child can be as dangerous as a nut allergy and not to kind of mentally dismiss that thought, which it does sort of feel like, or not dismiss it. I think people just don't really know no. unless they're dealing with it. I didn't know. I didn't know about any of this before having a child with allergies. No. And, you know, most people as well, when you do explain the situation, want to do everything they can to help and to support and, you know, make life easier um, for you. But it's, Well, I wanted yeah, to come just... back. I wanted to come back to something you said about, you know, when in COVID, when um, bubbles were allowed to happen, you were allowed to see some family and get some support that way. But there must be a huge level of trust from you and David and I, you know, Isla as well as she's grown up and learned to trust um, other people from, you know, are you going to come into my house completely allergen free? Or, you know, if I come to your house, yeah. have you really cleared out all the peanuts? You know, did you know, did you wash up your bowl? I can't even imagine, you know, we have all of the allergens that you've spoken about. We eat peanut butter left, right, and centre in our house. So and it's just mm. that trust of if you go to a birthday party or if you go to a cafe that they really have used the right ingredients and not just something that is may contain or how how do you yeah. how do you manage that expectation from even your your mum and and brother just yeah. really are you sure you you can come in here safely you know? <laughs> yeah i feel like we just you have to find a way i think because much as you want to keep them in a bubble it's not possible forever and it's like you've got to find ways um so I feel, felt for a long time like I'm always clearing a path for her first so mm -hmm. there's just a lot of phone calls and conversations and all of that sort of thing that goes into um uh into anything any kind of activity that we're going to do um we're really lucky and we've got really supportive neighbors actually and we really bonded a lot more with them through lockdown and everything but our neighbors on the other side have got a little girl the same age as isla and they were really helpful and they were like okay we're going to blitz everything come round and play like we'll Aww. make it okay and they did and we did we did we've done a couple of play dates around there and then lots of her coming round to play in the garden and um coming over to play here and yeah that's things like that just makes such a difference just so supportive when you know people really really get it and they want it, it they want it to go well as much as you do um and going to family yeah it just wasn't a small deal really the first time going out to my mum's she I mean my mum's quite um I don't want to say OCD because I think that gets banded around and I'm not convinced she's not actually been diagnosed with that but when if you put her on a mission she will she's I know she's will complete the mission <laughs> so she uh goes hell for leather cleaning whenever we go around there and the same with my in-laws as well they're amazing and then they are the only people truthfully that do cook for Isla apart from me yet at the moment are my mom and David's mom and so they totally get it they know the, the routine and we have a few dishes that just know work well for you know and that also I think was really important particularly with my mother-in-law that she felt like she could cook a meal 
for the God, there's so so many thoughts all at once. She could cook a meal for like the whole family that everybody could enjoy. And actually, that's how we got Isla to first eat spaghetti bolognese because because <laughs> um, she's quite unsure about new foods um, naturally, I think. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Jill made us all a lovely bolognese and so she has it. And then whenever I cook it, it's like, oh, it's Nana's bolognese. And so she feels good about it. (laughs) But uh, yeah, there's a a few dishes like that. But yeah, so much socially with, um, with this, there's so many levels. It's like Mm -hmm. even within a family dynamic, you know, for like the matriarchs in our family to be able to cook for everybody it's like an important it's like a bit of a way sometimes they show love and mm. so when you're sort of putting the kibosh on that because it's not you know for a while like that didn't feel safe so I'd always from you know for me it's just we needed a few steps before I got to that point of feeling like okay I can really really trust this situation and that you know is m- more about me than about Jill for sure um but just me growing in confidence and in trusting other people. Um, yeah, it it was important for us to, I've kind of lost my train of thought, but it was important for us to get, to make those steps. But yeah, I remember we also saw the family psychologist through St. Thomas's, who was really, really helpful. And I remember her saying to us, teaching us about graduated exposure and just doing like, bit, okay, if that, if at the, when we first started talking to her, she was like, what's your dream? Like, what would be a massive win for you? And we said, oh, to be able to travel with our daughter to Ireland, to David's family home uh, on the coast in Ireland, like that would just feel um, like such a win. And it feels so out of, excuse me, it feels so out of reach. And so... She was um, said. She said, you know, well, if that's like a nine or a ten out of, or we said it was like a nine, ten out of ten. You got to start with a two out of ten. <laughs> go, you know, go out for a, go take her to a coffee shop, take her food with you, uh, or you know, I can't even remember what the first like really interim step. Even for us back then, it was like go to a playground, mm. take her to a playground, and um, have a play date at home at your home have a play date at somebody else that you trust home and literally the steps that it it took to get us to that what had once felt like a nine out of ten there were many many steps but we did it and we did our trip to Ireland and we did it in September and it went well yeah um and I always remember her just talking us through that and how out of reach that felt but yeah we've got on an airplane and we flew and we took her to another country and where her the house is is far from places you know believe me i we'd calculated where the nearest hospital was where the nearest ambulance station was like all of that stuff you go through but actually it just went it went really well and we had a great time and gave us real confidence so it's like you get there you do you can get there but sometimes you have to be kind to yourself as well and just do things in steps that you can cope with and if and if something you know going to a cafe felt okay last week but it doesn't this week don't do it (laughs) do it next week if you feel like it because I think that changes depending on so many things and how confident you're feeling in the moment so yeah there's a lot of like managing so so two side two well so many sides to it but a lot of managing your own anxiety Mm. um and also managing the reality, um, mm-hmm. keeping your child safe. Yeah. And how about yes. Isla? Do you, I, I know she's only, you know, two, two and a half, but does she understand? Does she have any concept of what life is for her with allergies? 
I think that I don't know if yet because she's not she's not a nursery at the moment you know she haven't started preschool I don't think we've had to enter into the arena of her feeling different to other mm-hmm. children or that her path is different but totally what what has just become and has always been normal for her is to check labels to check whether things are safe for her to ask us before just eating something um yeah I'm gonna still she's two and a half so when Mm. we're out and about I've still got eyes in the back of my head um but essentially she knows now to if she sees something in the kitchen that she doesn't recognize she would say mommy can you check the label make sure this is safe for me is this okay for me and all of that um so yeah she know and that's all that will be all she's ever known as well Mm. so it's like you know yes my heart sometimes is like oh I wish this wasn't I wish this wasn't so it's still she's just gonna take it in her stride I think and is there hope with the peanut desensitization and the wheat overcoming wheat and of course the sesame desensitization so is there hope that she could one day in the future be completely allergy free or is is that not something that would happen i'm i'm sorry i'm so naive to all like, of this you're not and you're asking all the right questions absolutely um there's always a chance there's you know there totally is hope um they you know actually she has about an 80% chance of growing out of milk or the milk or dairy wow. and or dairy allergy um so most kids do but some kids don't and with peanut i think it was was it 20% chance of growing out of it uh, sesame i don't think is that high i can't remember to be honest and cashew is not that high um so there is you know you can watch and wait and see what happens um, but yeah, there is, there's also seems to be this sort of intervention moment that is possible. And so we are, we are kind of going for it because it, it was interesting that just for us, uh, it, that the peanut, um, skin prick was a hell of a lot smaller. We had it, they repeated Amazing. it this time and I think it had gone down by about half, um wow. since desensitizing her so i'm going to be really interested to see where that is in a year's time and they are having really good results um from what i understand in that sitting the kids on this maintenance dose um for a year or so when they look uh they check again they are finding they can their tolerance is going right up at that point so it's not even like you've had to push their you know, she's on a peanut and a half. It's not like we're continuing to push it up, push it up, push it up and kind of challenge her constantly. It, it, but it's looking like, um, you know, in these sort of early stages of it all, that there's a potential for real change after a year wow. or so. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, if this is if this is our holding pattern and we're at a peanut and a half, it takes away that... Um, concern about may contains and cro- mm. and accidental exposure cross contamination mm. all of that those sorts of things so you know it, i feel like we're in a much stronger position than we were before yeah so no i'm really it's been a total game changer and we were able to challenge banana she had uh, potentially had banana allergy so if we got i think i told you that before banana in a diet not that she freaking likes them like you go through all this because you're like i just want my child to eat a banana i want to not feel afraid of a banana if i see a banana somewhere uh, where she's playing 
Um, and yeah, she can ha- she can have it. She just doesn't really like it. So now I'm smuggling it into smoothies and things because she has to keep it. Now it's in her diet. She has to mm. keep it in her diet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And oh, you were asking me about number two. You were asking me about number two. Yes, the one thing that I spoke to our allergist, um, Dr. Fox, about, uh, sorry, Professor Fox, about the other week um, was what uh, do I do if I can't, because I mix fed Isla at the beginning and I was like, what if my milk doesn't come in? I really don't want to give this one, ca- um, you know, any kind of cow's milk formula. Um, so what do I do? And he's recommended. Uh, really, I can't remember the word actually, is it hydrogenized? But a really, really uh, one of the ones that would be hopefully really safe for the new one um, to have in my back pocket just in case. So that's quite freeing because I was putting quite a lot of pressure in myself thinking I'm going to have to breast, you know, breastfeeding is just going to have to work because I can't give this one cow's milk because I, you know, did with Isla and then mm-hmm. she developed rip roaring dairy allergy. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know that that's the reason, but there is a thought that because I'm maybe because I mix fed for a while, then once I'd really established breastfeeding, I dropped the formula. And so I didn't keep it consistently in her diet, like could be could have been a factor. But then you never know with these things. Like there's so many factors. And sometimes these things just feel like another way to beat yourself up or blame yourself for oh, why God. something's yeah. happened. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, things like that, that's, that's going to be helpful this time to think, okay, I've got an option and it's a safe enough option um, if I need to give her and want to give her formula. Um, and yeah, all those kinds of things. And then come weaning time, I mean, I'm definitely going to speak to him more about it, how to do it, when to start, whether to test her. Um, I'm, yeah, I will be asking all of those questions and very happy to share all of that information when I, when I have it. In terms of support, I know very, very early on, you know, you said that you had your EpiPens were given to you and it was, you were taught how to use them. It was kind of off you go. And of course, through your journey, you've, you've had a lot more support, especially with Professor Fox. But if there's anyone listening right now and listening to your journey, to your story and feeling really quite unsupported in their journey, is there anything that you would recommend? Are there any places where they could go to feel part of perhaps an allergy family community or or professional resources that they can seek out? Yeah. Do you know what? I just last night connected with a company called that. I'm going to make sure I get this right because this is important. Um, called the Allergy Team. And they're doing really good work and creating courses and resources and all kinds of things, content. Um, They do Q&As with lots of uh, different professionals in the allergy industry. Um, But yeah, that seems like a really, really good resource um, that I wish I'd found out about a bit sooner, actually. Um, And I'd say... Yeah, they, that would be a really, really good place to go. It's run by parents that are allergy um, allergy parents as well, so they totally get it, but it's really well-organised set up. Um, and also, I yeah, I made a lot of connections. Once I started to speak more openly about it, there's a mm. hell of a lot on social media. This is when I think social media can be 
you know, really useful and used for good. I've made some really nice um, connections with other families and support and often chat with other allergy parents online. And have the reason I see the allergist that I see is because an Instagram mum suggested him um, when she heard my our story. And um, so, yeah, that there that's been really resourceful. I'd say just reaching out. There's actually a lot of lot of people out there um to connect with and then just I suppose again even with that that as well as just being kind to yourself there are days where you know it's I feel you know I want to read allergy content and see you know connect with all of that and there are days when that can feel quite overwhelming and you, you know need to need to step away from it for a minute but there's a lot of support there's support as in community support out there actually if you look for it I'd say in terms of what you're presented with in the moment of diagnosis doesn't really feel like enough really mm. it's um I wish there was more I wish there was more for families I know St Thomas's do some good workshops and we did their workshops and things um and that was nice but I think that was all quite limited because of Covid so I don't know if it's a bit more back up and running um but yeah I think I always feel like more is needed in this department because it can feel really lonely mm. and during covid i can't even imagine thank you so much for sharing your journey with us is there anything else that you want to share with anybody listening what else would i want to share oh i'd say just reach out i mean honestly just reach out and connect connect with other families connect it really made a difference um to us in the early days there was a as it turned out another family who had a child with fpies who lived up the road, who oh, wow. can't even remember how we connected. That was through Instagram as well. Someone connected. Someone said, I think you, your child might have the same thing as my uh, friend's child. Would you want to meet up? And we went out for coffee and, like, connected, and it felt amazing. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people. It's so on the uprise for some unknown reason. But there are some crazy statistics. There's a lot of people going through it, and I think finding your tribe and finding your community can really help um yeah and that things it's not that it's not you know doesn't go away it's not saying that it gets easier in that the the worry's always there and the need to be vigilant is always there but I think you can gain in confidence as a family and um you know I think we all share how much we want the little ones for uh, want the world for our little ones you know mm-hmm. and want them to get out there and to thrive and have a great social life and do fun things and let's just do everything we can to make that possible I am so incredibly grateful for Ali sharing with us her journey her experience their plans as they move on through Isla's allergy journey I feel so much more educated now on the subject and so much more aware as a mother if there is an allergy child within Amandine's circle of friends just how to be of support to them and their family. So next week it is Christmas week. Can you believe already? So Merry Merry Christmas. Next week we are going to be re-releasing a podcast that I recorded last year just before Christmas with psychologist Anna Martha. It is all about how to deal with and have tools in our toolbox to be prepared for the stress, the anxiety, the overwhelm that the Christmas period can cause. So if you feel yourselves getting a little bit worked up, a little bit stressed, a little bit overwhelmed in the lead up to Christmas, 
just turn this podcast on and have a listen. It will provide you with some tools to bring everything a little bit calmer. Merry, Merry Christmas and speak to you after Christmas, especially with this episode. And as always, please do share the podcast. There are so many people out there who I feel would really, really benefit from listening to our conversations. Rate, review and subscribe, most importantly, wherever you get your podcasts. We are incredibly grateful. Have a wonderful, very Merry Christmas.